moments of that freedom or that moment where you just reclaimed something in yourself and even con- maybe not consciously at the time where you even going, Oh, I'm reclaiming this, right? It's just, you know, in hindsight now I realize, Oh, that was one of this, these pivotal moments in which I started to shed the need to be what other people needed me to be and to step more confidently and being myself. You know, but that's been a journey. And like you said, it's going to be a thread because, you know, here I am fast forward these 25 years later, you know, and then it's like, oh my goodness, how many times did I have to reckon with that over and over again? (laughs) Does it ever end? Does the reckoning (laughs) ever end, Laura? Because I, I, I'm convinced that this is a lifelong journey, right? It's not a, it's not a like we get to some end point where it's like we've reclaimed it all and we're done. If you know there is something deep inside of you that is yearning to be seen, to be known, and to have expression, if there's something you need to reclaim and remember, maybe it's your power, your purpose, your gifts, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Reclaiming Ourselves. I'm your host, Sonia Statman, and I'm honored to have three amazing co-hosts, Laura Shook Guzman, Belinda Hahn, and Emily Sikorsi, here with me on this journey to self-discovery. Every week, we're going to help you unravel and remember what it means to reclaim yourself, to own who you are, to recognize your innate worth and greatness. Now, this podcast is a deep dive into self-development, healing, and empowerment. So hold on. Here we go. Just a quick note before we dive into today's episode. These initial episodes are introduction episodes. One of the reasons I chose to have co-hosts instead of guests was to give you the opportunity to get to know us and to spend the topic episodes talking about the topics. So today's special episode is a deep dive into one of the co-host stories. It's going to give you context for why we are here and what we have to contribute this season. Enjoy getting to know us. Thank you for listening. And if you want to learn more, be sure to visit reclaimingourselvespodcast.com. Welcome back to the Reclaiming Ourselves podcast. And I am so excited right now because I get to do the interview episode with Laura. Now, Laura and I have talked a lot about ourselves. We, you know, have shared a lot of who we are on our other podcasts together, but I'm excited to kind of approach this with a new lens, right? Shine a new light on where Laura is today and how she's integrated along the way. So welcome, Laura. I'm so excited that we're here together today. I'm really excited to be here as well. I feel like it might be a little bit like a, we just put a disclaimer. This might be like Laura verbally processing therapy session as we talk <laughs> about the answers to these questions because there's just like a lot of change and a lot of different integration I think that's happening. So thanks for turning the mic on me in this way to be able to to kind of explore. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Me too. It's going to be awesome. I have no doubt. So let me start at the beginning. Assuming that we have new listeners who've never listened to us talk before, let's cover some of the basics. Like where do you live? Do you have kids? Do you have a partner? Give us a little bit of background about where you currently are. I am in Austin, Texas, where I've been for now, oh my goodness, over a decade. I grew up in Texas, but went away for a while. went to California, went to Europe, went to Canada. So back in in homeland territory, but I dream of traveling a lot again. But Austin, Texas will probably always be home base. And I'm here with my family. I've got my daughter who is off in college and she's second year at University of British Columbia. That's just wild. She's all the way up in Canada. And then my son who is turning nine, going into third grade. 
So they're getting older. I'm getting older. And my husband, Jay, and I are laughing a lot about like, okay, wait, by the time he, 10 years from now, are we going to have all the energy to do all the things that we want to do? <laughs> it's like we're ready to do now. Yes. Yeah. I know. It's so funny because, you know, for people who haven't listened to us before, you know, Laura and I both kind of have a similar journey with kids. We have an older child and we have a new child that we had in our new marriages. And I think like going around the bend again, it's a very interesting process when you kind of think, wow, I could be completely free of kids if I hadn't had the second one, which we love, which we love, right? But it's so true. And we have that in common, you know, the 12 year gap, we could be empty nesters right now. But of course, you know, there's a lot also to enjoy about parenting a second time around when you're more relaxed, more calm. And, you know, and I did a lot of that traveling when my daughter was little and now it's different to have the roots. Like I said, you know, kind of growing up here, having family nearby of my mom and dad that aren't far away, that Mm -hmm. can be very involved grandparents and my mother-in-law as well. It's not too, you know, very far away. So, you know, having that is very different experience than my first time around where I was doing it, you know, without the support of family. But then that's actually what led me to make a lot of family with friends and finding other moms and dads and other parents that were doing it in a similar way, you know, on their own away from a lot of extended family or community and, and making community for ourselves. And and I'm interested to know if that is a part of your journey, right? Like one of the things that I want to kind of talk about in this episode is what are sort of two to three pivotal points in your life that you feel you maybe really reclaimed yourself or you really remembered who you were? Like, you know, what are some of those those points that really started to help you define yourself and recognize who you actually are? It's a really great question. I've been asking myself a, a lot about that too, because now I'm marking about, you know, 25 years since, you know, starting this journey. I mean, I graduated grad school just to, to age myself here a little bit in 2000. And prior to that, I was already a mental health professional because when I got out of undergrad, I started as a manager at a residential treatment center. So, I mean, definitely looking at 25 years of doing this type of work, working in mental health, I was always curious about what are the different variables, the different aspects that support human growth. I was always curious Mm -hmm. about the resilience in people. I remember actually early on people saying to me, oh, that must be so hard. You're working in, you know, residential treatment centers, you know, the stories of those children and all of the different levels of abuse and things that you're witnessing and, and trying to support. That must be so hard. And I would say, yes, it is hard. Yet what I'm drawn to is their ability to persevere, to not just survive in some situations, but go on to transcend their trauma to overcome. And that is actually what always got me kind of like, that was the thing that supported my curiosity. It's like, wow, why is it that some people can really move through and beyond and actually transform? And then for some people, they can't, there's something missing. And, and often what I found was missing when I would talk with clients about like, I would ask them, you know, do you remember someone that was there for you? And did you remember someone like that saw you and connected with you? And for those that were able to say, yeah, I had that teacher or I had that grandparent or I had that neighbor or that aunt and uncle, someone in their life, even in the hardest of times, if they had someone they connected with and they felt, saw them and listened to them, they were doing more to heal and they were more resilient And so I think that like captured my curiosity and has guided my career path as, as a therapist and as an entrepreneur is what happens when we're more deeply connected. And as children, we have to deeply connect with someone else to learn about it. Like our nervous systems are not fully formed until the age of two. Like we have to learn from our caregivers what it means to experience connection. Like we have this birthright, but we also learn it around other people. And so I just have been fascinated about like, well, what happens if you didn't learn that? Can you still learn it? And has anyone learned that? Right, right. (laughs) 
And, and, and I just think like we're in an interesting time about, mm-hmm. you know, the levels of disconnection. So it's just interesting for me to look back now and realize I had no idea what was going to happen in the world, obviously, over the 25 years that I was a, that I was on this path, that I am a therapist. But I'm seeing that connection, people's ability to connect to themselves and connect to others and connect to the earth and the environment around them, like that was always something that I was curious about and mm-hmm. tracking And now I find myself working with clients in this time in which there's an epidemic of isolation, loneliness, disconnection, disease, dis-ease in the body. So, yeah. So I think I'm not sure if I'm articulating it all that like bullet point like, but I think that it's definitely these, these themes around human resilience, Mm. connection, the power of community. And that's really kind of what prompted you even to ask me this question, I think, as I was talking about the power of community, you know, and, and it's like, that was a big piece of becoming a parent and feeling isolated and overwhelmed and, and needing to find friendship and connection and, and validation mm-hmm. from other people in a way that I may have not needed as much in the past before becoming a mom. Like it was such a vulnerable thing that I yeah. needed that level of connection and community. And then as a therapist, I was just always interested in, in how powerful the social connections are between human beings and what they can create for us. And do you feel that like that's such a core piece of what we might talk about the season as well about reclaiming ourselves? That is, it's about reconnecting to ourselves and others. But, you know, how would you kind of bridge that with sort of this idea of reclaiming ourselves? Yeah, I think exactly that is reclaiming this connection is about reclaiming connection with self. And as a somatic trained therapist is really, and that's for those listeners that may not know, is like body-based psychotherapy, really understanding the language of sensation, felt sense, how the nervous system is experiencing the world, how that affects our emotions and, you know, the physical body. It's like, and our thinking minds, like all of that integration. I think that that is where I really want to focus this season is what does it mean to reclaim the connection to self mm. through the body. Yes. And right. One of my favorite <laughs> topics. <laughs> <laughs> and this, and, and I just want to clarify, and it's not like how are, you know, this is all important, like your sleep hygiene and your nutrition and movement and all those things are extremely important, but we're going to talk more in those, the subtle body as mm. the Buddhist psychologists refer to it. It's like the subtle, the energetic, the, the felt sense of things. Like I find that many of my clients come into my office without knowing the language of their body. They can tell me that they feel sad or that they feel frustrated or angry. But when I ask, how do they know, where do they feel that in the body? How does the body tell them that this is the experience that they're sitting with? Many of them don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. And interestingly, many of them are worried about that being an individual flaw. They're like, oh, is that something everybody else can do? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's really something that we aren't taught. We That's aren't right. really learning in schools a little bit more social development and happening, but very little discussion around the power of the body mm-hmm. and what the body tells us about our experiences and how to respond and respect the needs of the body. So returning to self isn't just a philosophical conversation That's with right. my <laughs> with my clients or in this season that we're going to go on. It's like, how do we really step back into reclaiming it through the body? Yes, I can't wait. And so to kind of bridge this back to you, what are some you know, maybe times in your life, you know, if you could share with us where you reclaimed yourself, right? Where you reclaimed that connection to the body or where you remembered who you really are. You know, I I think sometimes when we talk about reclaiming ourselves, 
you know, everyone has a different experience of what that feels like, what that looks like, what situation or circumstances that comes out of. And I think all of us sharing our own experiences gives the listeners kind of some reference points that they can look at in their own life, may, may resonate, may not resonate. But for you, what were some pivotal times that you reclaimed yourself? What did it feel like? What did it look like? What were the circumstances? Mm, mm, that's really good. And and it's interesting because my first thought went to, you know, something that was a difficult period of my life. And I think that's often the case of like mm-hmm. discomfort <laughs> creates an opportunity for stepping in to a higher version of ourselves or just like, it's like the, the tension of the rubbing of the pearl, right? It's like it, mm-hmm. you need that tension. But I think first I want to, there's two, two times in my life that come to mind. And the first one's actually more of a, like a joyous moment or like a place of embodying a felt sense of freedom and confidence. And I think, you know, for me, that was early on in my twenties when I individuated from my family and from my home state. Like I talked about growing up in Texas, I grew up in a small town and it was wonderful to have a community of so many people that knew you and supported you. And, you know, everybody knew everybody's business and I couldn't wait to move beyond what I felt like was kind of this confines of a small town and go into the big city, go into, you know, these bigger parts of life that I I wanted to get away from everyone knowing who I was. And I almost wanted to slip into this like anonymous way of being and Mm. and observe and notice people. And so when I went off to college, that was, that was the first step. But it was really when I moved from Texas to California and I started grad school. And I remember just that moment when everyone had left after I moved into my apartment because my mom and dad were supportive and helping me do that. But it's like that first night alone on the carpet of my pretty empty apartment, it had some things, but I remember it feeling like, oh, this is my space and it's up to me to figure this out. And I don't know the city at all. I don't know where the grocery store is yet. Like, I don't know where, where I'm going. I'm just going to get in my car tomorrow and drive and find out like what I find and just drive towards the ocean and see what's there. And there was something so joyous, liberating, freeing about stepping in to my aloneness, my separateness. And yet there was also fear and uncertainty. But in that period of time, I just remember there being a reclaiming. It's not just a, it's a discovery, but it was almost like a reclaiming of all the things about myself that I intuitively knew were me. And I hadn't let all of those things out, so to speak in my life, because your childhood's full of like meeting expectations Mm -hmm. and, you know, parents being proud and I'm wanting to make them proud. And I had a tendency, I've talked about this in other conversations with you that um, some of the listeners may know, but just being that golden child or trying to keep everything, you know, keeping everybody Mm -hmm. else. Okay. And so there was just this liberation when I reclaimed an essence of myself Mm -hmm. that wasn't about anybody else's expectations. And it was really more about me, you know? Yeah. And I think that is going to be this kind of common thread in this process, right? There's almost a letting go of society, parent, partner, expectation, right? Letting go of the the need to meet other people, to recognize and allow ourselves, right? So it's like sometimes reclaiming seems like this, and it is like a power position, right? It is like an owning. It is like a but I think it starts with allowing, right? It starts with the opening and being curious and aware of who we already are, right? Our essence. Yes. Yes. And I think so that was like one of my first felt sense. And I think about it too, that I have a felt sense of that. I have a memory of that carpet mm. and, and sitting and laying out. I probably like laid on my back and spread my arms and legs wide and just took it all in. And I had this beautiful magnolia tree right outside my window. And I can remember 
what I saw and what I felt and what I smelled and what, you know, it's just, and that's where, you know, coming back to the fact that the body can hold a lot of, of memories and sensations that are hard, mm-hmm. but it can also just hold so many moments of joy and moments of that freedom or that moment where you just reclaimed something in yourself and even con- maybe not consciously at the time where you even going, Ooh, I'm reclaiming this, right? It's just, you know, in hindsight now I realize, Oh, that was one of this, these pivotal moments in which I started to shed the need to be what other people needed me to be and to step more confidently and being myself, you know, but that's been a journey. And like you said, it's going to be a thread because, you know, here I am fast forward these 25 years later, you know, and then it's like, oh my goodness, how many times did I have to reckon with that? over and over again. Does it ever end? Does the reckoning (laughs) ever end, Laura? Because I, I, I'm convinced that this is a lifelong journey, right? It's not a, it's not a, like we get to some end point where it's like, we've reclaimed it all and we're done. Like, (laughs) yes, yes, you're right. It's like layers and layers and layers, but that also keeps it really interesting. Right. You know, and I think the contrast, what I was kind of reflecting just now too, is that my, like I said, my mind went to something because there was a time when my daughter was just three is when there was a sudden change in my family structure in which her father and I separated and I was a single mom. And it was a very sudden shift in which I was like, all of a sudden my vision and plan for the future was uprooted and I had to quickly shift. And I think at that moment through that uncertainty and that needing to, I completely uprooted living in Canada and came back to Austin. And so I think about that time of grief and sadness and overwhelm as being an opportunity in which every day I kind of got up thinking, but what do I want? Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, this is happening to me. These things are happening to me. And I feel like I don't have control over them, but what do I do have control of? And what do I want? If I'm going to create a life for myself that is in alignment with what I'm here to do, then let's do it. And there's something about that change in pattern that sometimes kicks you into a direct, like you're like kicking and screaming. You're like, I don't want to change. I had this plan. I was with this person. I have this career plan. I'm going to live in this city and I'm going to do this and this and this. And then something unexpected happens. And in that free fall sometimes is where there's a sudden aha and a a moment of awareness. And I think in that moment, I really began to reclaim not just like a separate sense of, Ooh, I have this identity that I don't have to please others. It was like, Ooh, I am someone that needs to do what she needs and wants to do. And I needed to reclaim like a sense of selfhood Mm. that I had sort of started to lose as I was trying to modify and connect like, okay, here's my family unit and I need to make my partner happy and I need to take care of my kid. And then being a single mom, as much as it was still about helping my child and being there for her, it was like a stepping into myself Mm -hmm. at a much deeper level than I had done before. Yeah. Yeah. Such powerful examples. And I love that because I also, when I was exploring this question, went to some of the darker moments. But I love that you also shared with us this piece about that joyous feeling because I have those too, right? And we don't always go to those. We don't always reference them. But I love that you shared that that was such an important piece as well. Really beautiful. I love it. All right. Well, to steer us in a little bit different direction, I want to quickly kind of just do the background because I know people are interested in 
well, what do you, what do you do? Right. And Mm -hmm. how did you get here? How, how did your career develop? Because I think so many of us on this podcast, like all the co-hosts, a lot of our work is our life's work, right? So, you know, it's very connected that background to what we're here to do and who we are. And so just briefly give us a little bit of your background in terms of your career story, and then we'll get into some deeper questions. I like that. I love that we're already actually showing like we do a little bit of here's some some simple information about where you live, how many kids you have. And then we deep dive. And then we're like, and wait, let's give some context. Um, And so I have kind of given a little hints here and there to what I do, what I'm about. But I I have from the beginning, I, I knew that I wanted to work in psychology. And so I went on to grad school in California and got my master's in clinical psychology with an emphasis on marriage and family. So systems therapy and went into, you know, the nonprofit world and agency work and really um, felt very drawn to work with those that were struggling with the impacts of trauma, a lot of unfortunate, you know, systemic and familial violence. And so I spent the first 10 to 12 years in that space as a trauma therapist. And then I began to actually I experienced my own levels of secondary trauma, compassion fatigue, burnout, which is something that we were warned about in school, in grad school, and talked about in in the agencies, but there wasn't really a lot of support on, you know, how you were supposed to prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of an interesting, when I look back at my career, because a lot of times therapists will be like, you know, a career therapist, like you're just doing agency work your whole career, or you do private practice. And mine was kind of interesting because I really began to think entrepreneurially, you know, I was like, wait a minute, I could practice in this container, which is the agency work. I could practice in a group practice, which looks like this. I was kind of looking at all of the different options and I didn't really see an option that I personally thought was going to support me the most. It's like, I don't think that I can do the work, like the work that I want to do at this deep level of trauma healing without a supportive system. And I don't really know if any of the existing therapy models are giving me that. So that was really kind of an interesting inquiry. And I think a lot of founders, entrepreneurs, we have this moment of like, But wait, I see a gap and I don't really know. (laughs) I don't like that there's a gap and I'm going to just try to see if I can fill it. And I remember saying, you know, to people around me at that time too, of like, I don't really want to just keep complaining about there being a lack of systemic support. I want to figure out if I could create something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have a family that like I come from some like several generations of entrepreneurs. So I think there was a little bit of that modeling was in my blood. Mostly they were like retail and agra entrepreneurs, farmers, ranchers, I'm retailing. But I was really curious about like, okay, what would this container be to start a business? And of course, that's how our stories integrated where we come into alignment. People know our past is like, we met through a single parent event, a mixer and social. And then we began to think together. And you had that same question of why do we have to do our work siloed? Why do we have to feel so exhausted and overwhelmed and stressed? And what would it be like if we created not only a workplace for therapists, but a workplace for all types of entrepreneurs and, you know, anybody that's juggling, we call them parentpreneurs (laughs) at the time, like anybody that's juggling all the parenthood and the the entrepreneurship. And so, you know, that really led me um, into my entrepreneurial phase of my career in creating, you know, the co-working space. So Mavita was so instrumental to prototype a concept in which we could work more mm-hmm. inter- in an integrated way. We could remove the silos. And again, see, this comes threading back to reclaiming the importance of connection, that we can be connected to ourselves and get connected with community and that we could do more together if we weren't doing all of this by ourselves. So that really now looking back, I'm like, that was not a mistake that I had, you know, this particular experience because by creating that co-working space, what I didn't know was going to happen is I was going to open myself up to hear hundreds and then probably by now thousands of stories like mine Mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs, founders, both men and women feeling really 
defragmented, really overwhelmed, overworked, confused about why it was so hard to get their business off the ground and do all the things that they needed to do. And so then my career started taking me on this path of the psychology of entrepreneurs and the psychological toll of this type of career choice Mm -hmm. and how it differs from the high stress of being in a CEO company where at least you have a steady paycheck. I mean, there were things that were like, yes, the high leadership, you know, leadership was being researched and understood. And there was a lot out there about executive coaching and executive support. But I really began to get curious and all my time and energy started going into working with entrepreneurs and looking at, well, how are they healing trauma while they're also running a business? And how are these psychological in, I would would say obstacles, sometimes like this mental health wall, sometimes they would hit, like they would just hit places where like, I don't know what to do. I can't get past this, but I know I have to because I'm creating a business or I need to get to my next level. But then there's all of these emotional pieces and physical, like chronic illness and certain things in their body that was like literally immobilizing them. So that, you know, has led me to where I am now when I think about it. So for the past decade now, I guess it's been 14, almost 15 years that I've been really working in the field now of entrepreneurial mental health and really working with my clients to reclaim their connection to themselves, reclaim their somatic intelligence, Mm -hmm. their ability to be resonant within themselves, to know their body and their nervous system so well that they can be proactive in being with the parts of them that are activated, that are overwhelmed, that are not getting their needs met, right? And so that leads me to, yes, this moment in my career where now I feel like I have so many years of experience Mm -hmm. that are also then shaping the theoretical models that I've learned along the way. Yeah. I love that. And so right now, you know, just to kind of wrap up the tail end of that background, right now, what would you say you're doing? Like, are you working specifically with individuals? Are you doing group stuff? Like, what are you doing now? Just so people can understand, you know, what you're yeah. offering and doing. Yeah. What are the current offers? What, That's right. what's, where's that led me? Yeah. So now I am in my private practice, Conscious Ambition which is all about helping entrepreneurs individually. I work with entrepreneurs one-on-one in therapy or in coaching, in the coaching model. I work with entrepreneurs with their partners. I work with co-founders. I work with teams and I work with individual entrepreneurs also in groups. I love to run like one or two groups every quarter so that I can have these opportunity to, to bring more support to entrepreneurs. So working with me is really about people coming. Usually entrepreneurs come to me and say, I need something that's like a little bit more than coaching. That's kind of like therapy, but then I don't really know what I need. I get a lot of that. Like, I don't know what I need, but it feels like this is intense mental health. And so I just do an assessment, you know, I just encourage clients to reach out And I just do a little um, consultation with them to be like, are you suited well? Is it individual work or do we need a systems work with your partner at work or your family at home? And do we need to work with a group of entrepreneurs or is it your whole team? So that's what I love about being a family therapist is that all of that, those, Mm -hmm. those hours and thousands of hours that we spent working with the systems of different family units or work units, right? It's like those systems influence the individual and the individual influences the systems. So working with me is like, I'm going to help you not only understand what's happening inside of yourself, but I want you to look at what's going on in your environment so that you can really see where do I need this support? Maybe it is just a one-on-one or maybe I need to be in a group and like part of my healing is to be vulnerable in front of other people yes. or part of my discovery is to be able to learn how to be more intimate and connected with my partner while I'm also pursuing my dreams and my, my aspirations. I love that. Yeah. So it's connection to self connection to others, which is something I talk about as well. And I yeah. think it's really important. And like, I just want to pull this other thread because I think a lot of people would think, how is your trauma background 
relevant to, you know, sort of like, I'm a founder, I'm an entrepreneur, like I need to kind of work through some stuff and maybe, maybe some relationships, but you know, I don't have any big trauma, like, but I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, the connection, because I mean, I know how important sort of this trauma work and understanding trauma is. And I'm, I'm curious for you to share that with the listeners too. Thank you for that question. Because I think for a while I was kind of keeping those things a bit separate in my mind of like, oh, I have all my clients that I'm working with that have complex trauma, chronic trauma. And then I have my founders, my entrepreneurs, and many of them are not coming in for trauma. So, you know, 70% of the population in the United States has experienced some type of trauma in their lifetime, according to recent data. And that means, you know, it could be a one-off, like a car accident is a traumatic accident, or it could be complex developmental chronic trauma, which somebody has abuse, neglect in their you know, childhood or background. So there's a variety of different single incidents or repeating experiences of trauma. And trauma is when a, an experience feels life-threatening to that individual. So the body is responding, okay, this is a life or death survival response. And then, so you can have that in one moment, you can have that in several different moments. So understanding that 70% of us experience trauma, almost probably everyone that's When you listening. say it's a little bit more than 70%. I thought so. <laughs> I know. I was I like, mean, not everybody talks about their trauma, but yeah, I would go, I would go with 99%. <laughs> yes. But now 20%, what's interesting of that, this a little bit more interesting is 20% actually do get diagnosed with PTSD. So post-traumatic stress disorder is when you experience a trauma, but you have lingering effects of that response. That trauma response gets stuck in the body. It has long lasting impacts. So a lot of us can go through trauma. And that's what's, I think, confusing for some people. They're like, well, I had that really traumatic thing, but then I, you know, I, don't, I don't think it's affecting me anymore. And you might be right. Like you might've gotten what you needed in that moment and been able to let that energy of the trauma move through and been able to heal that trauma, or at least be able to now think about it without it being extremely activating or affecting your way of life or work. But for some people that 20%, it's very, so it was such an, an intense experience and their body and mind weren't able to process that so that it actually does create lingering effects in the central nervous system. So your autonomic nervous system is you know, often still detecting that there's violence or every time you go across a bridge where you once had a car accident, you become immobilized or have panic attacks or insomnia, depression, anxiety. All of these types of lingering emotional dysregulation is a response to unprocessed trauma. And now we understand, thanks to over 20, now maybe 40 years of trauma research, we understand that it's much more about a inability of the body to move trauma through, to process the trauma energy. My, one of my teachers is Peter Levine. So he says that trauma is a disorder of presence. Mm -hmm. So those who have PTSD tend to still be in the trauma in the past and when they're in the past, then it's really difficult for them to be in the present. So when my entrepreneurs are coming in, they're not coming in saying that they want to work with PTSD. Mm -hmm. They're coming in saying that they are dysregulated, overwhelmed, not sleeping, feeling irritable, having crying spells, feeling depressed, anxious. And so that's kind of the, the, the list of symptoms, right? And it's like, what do I do? This is impacting my business. I can't think straight. I'm just really don't know where to go with this. And more and more as I begin to talk with them, of course, no, this isn't related to trauma. I'm just really stressed out right now. But as we would get into the stories of that conflict at work or that inability to ask for the funding or that, you know, inability to stand up in front of a crowd or whatever it was, right? We'd start to, to work with those stories over and over again, there would start to be the telling of a moment in the past in which there may have been shame, humiliation, neglect, abuse, mm -hmm. some type of harm in that person's life, whether it was early childhood or even a more recent incident. And in their work, their body was taking in information, this whatever this, this conflict was 
felt very similar in their body to that conflict in the past. Now their head is like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But I'd say, but what is your body feeling? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because your, your body is actually sensing a very similar situation and our brains have evolved to help us survive, not to keep us happy and working well with others. It's like that, that is not its primary goal. Its primary goal is to make sure that you're alive. So as I've been able to explore more and more of this connection, this trauma connection with, with my entrepreneurs, my founders, it really is starting to open up a whole new way of them to relate more compassionately Mm. with themselves because it's not a question of what's wrong with me. Why am I not a good leader? Why can't I make this business run? You know, why can't I get the money? It becomes what happened to me. What trauma is still stored in my body that is keeping me from being able to reconnect to myself, to trust myself and to be able to have my full present experience. Yeah. Thank you for that, Laura, because this is some, you know, in the thousands of leaders and entrepreneurs and business owners I've worked with, I've never found anyone who doesn't have those experiences, right? That something in their present is being affected by something in their past that's still lingering in their body. And we don't talk enough about this. We don't, you know, either trauma is like this big thing that we talk about, And so many of us just don't relate to it. You know, my parents didn't abuse me. I, you know, so we have kind of this, this way we just disqualify ourselves instead of talking about there's a lot of things that many of us experienced as children, neglect, humiliation, shame, 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 so much shame. And I think if we're not bringing up the connection then we don't get the healing. If we keep ignoring all these things and pretend they don't exist, we don't get access to the healing. And I think, you know, probably like me, a lot of people come to you for something different, but then it's that benefit of your awareness and that benefit of your experience that allows you to get to the core of what really is going on. Because if you just treat the surface, if you just treat the symptoms, nothing changes, right? Exactly. And you know, my interest is the individual and the system, Mm -hmm. the collective. So I love to remind, validate, teach, coach my clients to remember that they're also existing within a climate that perpetuates the disengagement. That's right. Like we have a very pervasive and problematic hustle culture. Yes. Right. You and I I mean, that's a thread (laughs) through so much of our conversations. (laughs) And it's interesting. And I've been thinking and writing a little bit about this recently of just, you know, you have to understand that 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 pervasive hustle culture also keeps people in line, so to speak, because as long as you're just hustling, then you're disengaged and you don't have to ask what is collectively wrong here. Yes. Like what's happening on a systemic cultural level that is causing harm, you know, because we're just all caught up in trying to keep going and keep going. And then you personalize yourself. We keep personalizing what is a systemic problem. And then when you are underrepresented founders, Mm -hmm. when you are a woman or in the LGBTQ community or consider in the BIPOC community, I mean, any of those underrepresented, undersupported founders, then guess what? It's even more difficult Mm -hmm. for you because you have systemic pressures and inequalities that are affecting you. And so I think that compassion, compassion, compassion is one of my biggest teaching moments. And it's interesting because you would think that, oh, okay. As soon as somebody realizes that, then yeah, like let's just have compassion. But I work with performers, like such high performers, as you know, too, as you work with these leaders that it's like they can give compassion to others much more than they can give it to themselves. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And compassion for others starts with compassion to self. Right? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. We can only be as compassionate for others, as we are compassionate for self, we can only love others as deeply as we love ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can only connect mm-hmm. to others as deeply as we connect to self. Yes. And this is why reclaiming mm-hmm. this trust in self, reclaiming connection. Yes. Right. 
Exactly. So that's what this season for me, <laughs> I'm hoping is going to be all about in all the conversations is just like reclaiming self means a trust in self, a compassionate response to self, loving kindness to self, because that's where the change happens. What I've noticed with my clients is that when that starts to shift and they're able, we've gotten past all of the protector parts of them that are really like, nope, I can't be soft. I can't let that down. I've got to be responsible for other people. It's just like, there's so many of those narratives and so mm-hmm. many protector parts that are like going along with that hustle, hustle, keep going, take care of everybody else. And so it's that softness. It's getting into that underbelly and into that heart soft space to be like, it's okay. And I really, I don't even have the words for like how honored it I feel that people trust me in that space. I think that that's what's really, really, really special Mm -hmm. and beautiful about what I get to do with my clients. The space that I share with them Mm -hmm. is that I may be the only place that whole week, the whole month that they get to come and be themselves and be vulnerable and say the things that they're too afraid to say anywhere else. And honestly, that has just made me a better human being because I just have gotten to witness more and more. And it helps me be more compassionate to myself that, wow, we are all struggling as human beings to just want to be loved. We all have this basic need to be loved, to love, to be valued, to be able to feel safe in the world, right? It's all we all need. It's all we all need. It's so simple. (laughs) And and yet so complex. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I love it. I love that we've been able to, you know, kind of dip in and out of that deep reflection and that that depth and then also come up to kind of the surface and who you are. I mean, I love it's this beautiful complex picture. We we have to kind of start wrapping up unfortunately because mm-hmm. we could talk all day, but yes. I kind of want to just wrap it up with some rapid fire questions. So, okay. Yes. You know, maybe share with us like your favorite books. Mm-hmm. I know that's hard. Yes, <laughs> I know that's hard. When I think about my favorite books, I'll say that I really went for years not reading. Like I was an avid reader as a child. And then as I got into my career, I think that I started reading a lot more nonfiction. And so in recent months, I've been remembering how much I love fiction, mm-hmm. specifically the genre of magical realism. Me too. And so that is like one like House of Spirits by Isabel Adelaide, Adele, what is her last name? House of Spirits, people are going to know. She is like one of those authors that weaves in like the historical, the human mm-hmm. element and the magical. And a lot of like that magical realism for me is how I live my life. I, I love like the magical elements and the unseen and the, you know, those moments of serendipity or these things that you're like, that's just magical. Like that's, I like to live from a place of awe. So the books that I like are going to be more of that magical realism. Yeah. Sarah Addison is another author. Yeah. Sarah Allen is another one. Yeah. 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 So like sometimes I can't remember the names of books. I can't remember the authors, (laughs) but it's like, I know that that is a genre that I really, really love. And so that's kind of indulgent. Like if I get to pick those, those are the books I want to read on vacation or when I'm traveling. And and now I'm trying to bring them more and more into my life. So my nonfiction books, like right now I'm reading the the Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate. And I just finished, uh, you know, No Bad Parts by Dr. Schwartz because I'm a big IFS internal family systems fan. I use that with my clients. So that's a little bit about my books. I know it wasn't too rapid, but I'm like, there it is. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Okay, so favorite music or podcasts? Mm, okay, so music is really funny because I don't like think when I think about what's my favorite music, I go back to my earlier years. And I was, I'm a big fan of like the 90s R&B soul music. So yeah. Lauren Hill, Mary Yay. J. Blige, Macy Gray. Yes, <laughs> it's like, it. that's what I just want to put on and roll down my windows and, and drive around. And, and it takes me back to those years, I guess, those years of my 20s and earlier. Let's see. And then podcasts. I just, I just love so many podcasts. But one of the podcasts that I'm referring, sharing a lot with friends and clients is the Meditative Story podcast. Mm, I haven't heard that and one. It's so nice because you're listening to someone tell their story, but then it has music and meditative prompts. And so the facilitator, the the guide of it, he's really great. The host, he's really great at like 
pulling out these moments and then mm-hmm. asking you to reflect on something in your life that connects with that person's story. Wow. And so that I really, cool. really enjoy that format. It's a really interesting one. Otherwise, I'm always just listening to things that have to do with entrepreneur mental health <laughs> and trauma healing and business. Of course. Of course. <laughs> All right. Favorite TV shows. Oh, indulgent ones. Well, my daughter and I like to watch like rom-coms and oh, oh, Stranger Things though. I love sci-fi. Yeah. So I just that. finished the the Stranger Things series. I want to rewatch it all again and yeah. like just binge on that. And then I also love to watch shows like Bridgerton and things oh, like that Bridgerton. with Sahara where I'll just so be good. like, we just, my daughter and I will lay on the couch and watch those binge <laughs> on those kinds of shows. So I love it. Yeah. All right. Favorite foods. Favorite foods. Okay. I have to say, I could just say pizza in general, but my favorite <laughs> is the margarita pizza from Home Slice here in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Like okay. when my family knows I've had a hard day, like that's where I'm like, we bought you Home Slice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's beautiful. And I'm like, yes. And with ranch dressing, because yeah. that's the thing that we do. I think it's a Texas thing. Yeah. Ranch dressing. And then mint chocolate chip ice cream, oh. which actually is the way that you and I <laughs> launched our co-working space. Is <laughs> That we used to have meetings. We'd put the kids to bed when they were there because they were like six years old. We'd put them to bed and go to the dining room table with mint chip ice cream and do work. And then we'd go watch like some kind of reality TV. Yeah, we we did. (laughs) I love it. That's so good. Okay. And last rapid fire question. And then we'll wrap up. What's your favorite indulgence? Mm, Day spas. Yes, of course. But if I can't afford a fancy day spa, I love day spas, but I will do my own. I'm definitely a DIY kind of person. Like I do, I'm all about sensory decadence. Mm. So even at home, I've got my essential oils. Mm. I got a portable hot tub that I make my husband take places if we go camping. (laughs) Yeah, I got this idea from another friend of mine. She's like, just get the portable hot tub and like go camping. I I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm going to have to see it. So like get your portal hot tub, get some essential oils, and then like I'll just, you know, do all sorts of little spa things. I'll even do like the cold towels and put them in like eucalyptus, just different things, you know, Mm. sometimes to give myself this feeling of being pampered. And I think that's what I love about spa days is just everything that I see is really beautiful and clean and it smells and it feels so good. And it's just that really the animal body. And that's, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, why I love working with the body because I'd like to be in mine. I want to be able to feel connected and feel all of like the pleasure of being in this human body. Like we've got, you know, one shot at it to be in this, this body in this lifetime. And so I like to treat it, treat my temple well and and enjoy those little spa excursions. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. It was it was such a pleasure getting to interview you and like, you know, kind of seeing all these threads and ties, especially after knowing you for so long. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you. And is there any last thing you would like to say to the listeners before we wrap up today? Just that I'm really looking forward to this season and reclaiming a relationship to the body. And I'm curious, I want to hear from listeners, you know, in between episodes or just, you know, but after this interview questions that people have about, well, what does that mean? Or, you know, where I can expand and explore and just get really curious together. So I'm excited about the, the exploration. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to us and being here and we'll see you next week. Well, thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to learn more about this topic, head over to ConsciousAmbition.com. You can sign up for my email list so you never miss an episode. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Ta-da!